mindfulness mode. Today, you can come up with an idea and you can reinvent yourself and you can engage the world in about an hour later. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. I'm here, Mindful Tribe, with a physicist today. And you know how much I enjoy interviewing scientists, physicists, so on. He's a physicist by background, and he grew up in extremely poor uh, conditions, and he was bullied as a young person which we'll be talking about in the show and he eventually tapped into the workings of energy consciousness and transformation so now you know why he's here with me today in particular the science behind all of these things and over the last 10 years trevor has created and successfully exited three separate companies for over 600 million dollars and he's never hired a single employee I find this absolutely amazing. And so I'm really excited to talk to my guest and my guest is Trevor G. Blake. Trevor, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am always, always. That's how I start every day, so. That's fantastic. Trevor, what does mindfulness mean to you? For me, it, it's always meant the same thing, which is to try to find some glorious moments, even nanoseconds where we take the person that's doing all the time and replace it with the person that's being without judgment and without expectation and then even if you can achieve that just for a few minutes that's where all the magic happens i mean every great idea i've ever had from the companies comes when i'm in that space of being and not doing and so for me that's what mindfulness is well you talk a lot about magic and i'm very interested in in that usage of the word magic Tell me what came about in your life that took you to the place where you decided to talk a lot about magic. Well, it came about from bullying, actually. So, we, I mean, we can get into that story straight away because when yeah. I was a kid, I, I grew up in Liverpool and we were poor we, and, and um, my father was unemployed and unemployable, not a bad man, just he, you know, he was just different. And my mother was dying of cancer and we got evicted from the place we were living, the apartment we were in. And we ended up escaping from the creditors and living in um, a rural area where the English were not popular. And I was English and the, the, in this place, the Welsh place, they wanted the English out. And, uh, and so, you know, people, you know, kids are kids. So kids see this stuff on TV. They see, they see this political movement burning down houses owned by English people. And they, and they, they you know, they reflect it in their lives. So I was getting bullied and all the rest of it. And so what I did was I got out of their way. I used to fight because I came from Liverpool. We're, we're kind of a feisty culture but I didn't do very well with that so in the end I just I just got out of the way and the way for me to get out of the way was to hide in the town library because they were too dumb to go in there and I, and I just started reading all these biographies because to kill time right and and in these biographies I realized there was all of these amazing people through history whether it was in business or in adventure or music or whatever who'd had even worse starts to life than I thought I was having so that helped me kind of build my confidence that I was, I was exaggerating the situation, if you like. But I noticed that they all had these, these um, attitudes and behaviors, these sort of like, uh, you know, these sort of steps in their lives, whereby they were able to go to certain places mentally, whereby they were able to understand that everything in the world is energy. And they talk like this, even though, you know, today we have scientific labels for it all. They would talk in sort of general descriptive terms. And they would talk about magic being this process of just converting energy from one form into another form. And as, a, and as a young kid, that kind of opened the world up to me. I thought, wow, you know, if, if that's all it is, then and if I can learn to do that, I can change this situation. And then when I became a physicist, I learned that that was the truth, that, that you know, as Einstein would say, energy and matter are interchangeable and magic 
or the creation of anything is, is just the movement or the change of one form of energy into another form of energy within the laws of nature under the power of will. And that's kind of free me. I thought, my God, I could be a magician. But I was looking at it from a scientific standpoint. And that's what I've done with my companies. I sit quietly, do my quiet time, which is a form of meditation, come up with a winning idea, and then convert it into a real thing. And that's that's magic to me. And that's why I decided to start talking about magic as I got older and I kind of felt I had the credibility to talk about this stuff once I sold my first company. And, um, you know, people are quite surprised to hear me use the word, but I, I want to demystify it. The magic's not mystical. Magic is scientific. And if you understand how to interact with energy, then you can change the outcomes in your life. And that's basically it for me. I really like that. That's that's very cool. Tell me where you went to school to become a physicist. Well, I started off in the Navy. So so there weren't, there weren't many job options available to me when I was growing up. And um, it was basically farming or forestry. And nothing, nothing wrong with either, just that they're not very well paid and they're really hard work, you know. And I did work on a farm most of my life and um, my, my youth. Um, and I remember the careers counselor came up to me one time and said, Trevor, it's time to sit down and talk about your career, right? And I had made my mind up that I, I wanted to go to medical school, but I was poor. And in those days, there was no retail structure where you could work your way through university. So that was out. I had no, only about 10% of people made it to university in the UK in those days. And I wasn't that, so basically it wasn't even an option. So I decided to join the military and I wanted to be an officer in the Royal Navy, but people from my background, it was very elitist in those days. You just, it was impossible. I was told by everybody, forget it, including you know my dad and everybody, forget it. It's not going to happen. You know, tone it down a little bit. He thought I was getting you know too ambitious and everything. And I remember the careers counselor said, "Well, no, I've got a great job for you, Trevor." She said, "An apprentice manager in a chicken packing factory," and that's how she saw me. And and it made me so mad that I thought I'm getting into the military. So that's so I, I got into the military not realizing that a big part of my education was going to be physics, radiation physics. And so I got kind of two thirds of a degree in the Navy. And then when I left the Navy, which I did because I met my wife, um, I went to work in a hospital and I finished my degree in radiation therapy and um, nuclear medicine. So that's how it started. Oh, Never intended, it sort of happened all by accident really, but I became a you know a perpetual student of quantum physics. I just, I was so obsessed and fascinated by the subject. Yeah, I am too. And <clears throat> I think that if you learn to understand quantum physics, just like you said, you can learn to manifest things in your life. And that's, is that basically how you would describe what you did? Yeah. And again, I went, but I tried to demystify it. So I tried to do sort of quantum physics for dummies mentality because, it, you know, the, the, the labels and the jargon put people off quite, quite naturally and understandably. Yeah, yeah. So, so in, my, in my books, particularly in Three Simple Steps, and I have a course that backs up Three Simple Steps course transformation, I focused on, on three principles. So, so quantum entanglement, which basically is once connected, always connected. And once you understand that, you realize that you can really you know, have a big impact in, in both the, the past, the present and the future. Um, the observer effect, which, you know, the short term, what you pay attention to grows, basically, that's how I think of it, you know, and the more we pay attention to something, the more that shows up in our life. So if we pay attention to debt and fear, we get a lot more of that. If we pay attention to, you know, joyfulness and success, we get more of that. It's, it sounds so remarkably simple that people don't really believe it at first, because we're, we're sort of trained to think if it's complicated, it must be real. And if it's simple, it must be new age therapy or something. So there's those two principles and, and then string theory, which is one of my favorites, which, which you know educates us to understand that everything in the universe is made of these jiggling strings of energy, everything. So when I was growing up, I used to think of a tree as alive and a coffee table as dead. Now I think of them both as alive and I give them both names. <laughs> ah. it, changes my, it changes my interaction with the world around me. And, and that's how the magic shows up. 
That's very interesting. I want to talk about your businesses. And I find it, like I said, quite fascinating that you created these businesses, but you've never had a single employee. And so many people that I talk to say, you know, the secret is getting people to work with you and and hiring people that have skills that you don't, this kind of thing. So how is it that you created so much success without having a single employee? Because I believe in the complete opposite of what you've just said, what people have told you. Um, when I look at my regular career, which is a, a, a typical fast track career in sales and marketing, I spend probably 75, 80% of my time sitting in a meeting room talking about nonsense, talking, trying to keep employees happy. So it's like internal energy. Everything was on. We need to keep these people. And I, I remember spending almost uh, 14 hours in a meeting room with a group of senior executives. Goodness knows what the cost of that was for one day discussing everyone had an opinion on whether we could allow the staff to take the previous days um, absent. A lot of them were absent because it was snowing. It was a snowstorm. Could they have that as a snow day or do we have to take it from their vacation allowance? I'm absolute madness. And that was, it was kind of around that period where I was thinking, I've got to get out of this. So one of the things I realized when I started my first company was that if I don't do that, if I don't surround myself with all of these employees who need supervision, who need training, who need, need handholding a lot, then I'm free to focus on growth. So I did a slightly different business model. I did a hub model whereby instead of hiring employees, I hired vendors and consultants and contractors who were experts at what they did. So they, they provided all the different functions for me. So I didn't need to hire experts. So I had, I had a, a contractor that provides my manufacturing and a, a vendor that does my distribution and so on and so forth. And my role changed from, from sort of a supervisory role, which I had in my fast track career, to more of a peer-to-peer -peer trust, like a conductor of an orchestra sort of role, which was so much more fun. And I found out that, you know, first of all, it was highly profitable, 76% net profits, but I also didn't have to work very hard. I basically had to work just a few hours a day. If that, today I'd probably only work two hours a day and I've got four companies. Uh, all which I run from here, this little office here, you know, nothing fancy. It's very, very, very simple. So uh, when I started, everybody said, that's not possible. You know, you can maybe do that for a few months and then you've got to hire an oil split. But I found that it was, was possible and it was so successful. You know, I started my first company in 2003 for $200 and I sold it in 2009 for 105.5 million. What so that, was that company? That was called, it still exists. It's called Qual Medical, QOL Medical. And, and like all good companies, I started it because I saw something that made me mad and I decided to fix it. Not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur or because I don't have any skills, particularly I don't have talent. I'm not very good with my hands and stuff like that. My wife would never let me near a toolbox or anything of that nature, that's for sure. Um, and, but I realized that I'm pretty good at getting a small group of people around the table. I'm pretty good at managing that so that I can do, I can do that. But also that the, the secret to, a, to most successful entrepreneurs, because I read their biographies and I realized that you know, like Richard Branson, he didn't set out to start an airline. He had an issue. He fixed it by charting, you know, he, he charted a plane, fixed it. And so I realized that one of the secrets to successful business is to find things to fix and then set about fixing it. So Qual Medical uh, started because I fell out with my CEO in a regular career because I, I had, we had a problem at the company. I knew I could fix it, but because this idea to fix it was coming from someone somewhat junior to him, it kept getting rejected. And so in the end, I just said, you know what, give me the rights and I'll take it and fix it. And they said no, but then eventually they needed the cash and they came back to me and said, are you still interested? And so that's how I got started. Um, so we, we uh, developed a drug, uh, a treatment for a very, very rare disease in babies. And uh, 
you know, it's just, it was, the solution was there all the time. It's just that the company couldn't figure out how to get it off the shelf, um, you know, f- with financial responsibility. But I had this new business model that I knew if I, if I, if I plug this into the business model, then we'll, not only will it be successful, we'll be able to find the right patients, the right kids, you know, it's hard to diagnose. We'll be able to find the right people, do it differently, do it from an educational standpoint rather than a sales standpoint, and, and it'll eventually be profitable and it proved to be so. So from there, I just went on to, to lots of different companies. So I've been in the cancer research and development. Um, I have a, an animal sanctuary. I have a, a film, a production company, a movie company. Um, and that's called Audrey and Linda. Um, and I still have, I have one company that focuses on what we call radio sensitizers. So like, like uh, particular chemicals that make radiotherapy more effective without side effects. This is all very interesting. Tell me about your animal sanctuary and how you got into that. I was just something my wife and I always dreamt of doing when we were, when we got together. We were together 40 years. She, she died a year ago, unfortunately, but we had an amazing 40-year marriage. And it was always a dream of ours to be in a position whereby we could fund something like that. So what our, what our aim was to, we, any, any animal that needs rescuing is welcome. Uh, and what we try to do is rehome them with people who would love to have animals, but particularly seniors, but they're afraid that what happens if I die or what happens that I can't afford the vet bills, what I can't, you know, I can't walk a dog because I'm 85 or whatever. So we put a system together whereby we can put the animal that needs loving with a senior that loves to love animals or love on animals and we take care of everything else. So we pay all the costs, but also provide you know, dog walkers and a shelter and all this kind of that kind of thing. And it's just something we always wanted to do. So my pro, most of my proceeds from, well, all my proceeds from, um, trevorgblake.com, the books, the courses, they go to cancer research development, but I, I spin off about 10% of that to the animal sanctuary, every cent. And what are some of the animals that you have? Is it mostly dogs, cats, like domesticated animals like that? No, I've got a few horses. So, so my, I mean, I fall in love with them. So um, not all of them are capable of being rehomed because they have issues. We've got these two beautiful mini horses. Uh, I call them Sid and Stan, uh, that's their, their names. Uh, and they're, they're twin brothers and they're inseparable. So we're really hard to find a home. Everyone, everyone wants to take one, but nobody really wants to take two. There's a lot of work. The, you know, the reason they were in the sanctuary is they, people raise mini horses and treat them like dogs and they're not the horses and they need to be treated like horses and they're very expensive. Uh, so they stay at the sanctuary, you know, because there's really no way of splitting. We, I could never, they won't even be separated on either side of a fence, let alone you know, in, in different places. So they stay forever, that sort of thing. We have some goats, a couple of llamas. Very interesting. Yeah. And tell me about your film production company. What kinds of films do you produce? Um, so the, the I've, I've, I'm a screenplay writer, so I have a couple of films, that, successful films in the past. It's a, It was a hobby of mine that now that I'm of an age where I, and I'm kind of, you know, chilled out a little bit. I can spend more time doing this. So um, we I have a, a trilogy of films. The first one's called Audrey, and it's based on three simple steps. So it's basically the screenplay for the for, for the main story that flows through three, three simple steps, which is my mother's story. So my mother was one of the biggest inspirations in my life um, because she was diagnosed with cancer. She was given six months to live when I was only seven years old. And I remember watching her through a, through a crack in the door, looking up in the sky and saying, look, I'll decide when I die, not you. And I'm not leaving till my kids grow up. And she was absolutely true to her word. So she didn't die till I was 21. I was blessed to leave, you know, sort of get married and and get safe. So, I mean, I was totally inspired by her ability to, to be indefatigable in the face of what to a lot of people would be insurmountable odds, you know, a difficult home life, 
fighting cancer. She was the, our only source of income and she worked, you know, three or four afternoons a week in a delicatessen, but she had to walk five miles with bone cancer. Wow. Five miles there and five miles back. And I used to walk with her when I could, and my brother and sister did the same. And that was totally inspiring for me. So whenever I'm in business and I think I've got an insurmountable problem, I just have to remember that. And I kind of smile and think, wow, this is nothing compared to what she went through. So, so that's, that's what that first film was about. And then the second film was based, she introduced me to my wife. So the second film moves on to that and so on. And where do we see those films? Oh, they're in production. So they're not, they're not out yet. So I see. I so, see. Uh, we have uh, Golden Pictures and uh, uh, John Katzman, so uh, NBC. So it's, we've got great backers and great producers. So they're all in production. I only started it a year ago. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, I know that one of the things you love to do is help people learn how to live a balanced lifestyle. So what's the definition of a balanced lifestyle to you? For me, my personal life is far more important than my business life, always always has been, and I will not let it interfere. And so so for me, a balanced life is is that my my wife still knew who I was when I was successful as a business person. So I wasn't working 16 hours a day and I wasn't on my third marriage. My dog still recognized me. So it's, it's the ability to work productively. So work, work with peak brain performance as techniques. And I have all these tools and techniques in my books, et cetera. Work with peak brain performance and then step aside and spend time in a relaxed environment, like going for a walk in the woods or meditating or taking a nap, whatever it be, because that's where the magic happens. That's where we get those breakthrough moments of insight. And you think, oh, why didn't I think of that? this morning when I was cracking, trying to crack it on the computer. And, and that's where all the great ideas come from. So it's the balance between doing and being is, is kind of, is for me is, is uh, you know, that's what I mean by success with balance. Interesting. Well, you've, you've mentioned meditation. Can you tell us in more detail what your form of meditation looks like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, these days I do several different techniques because just to have one a lot of, I mean, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the to the choir here saying this to you, but but I think of meditation in the same way that people think of sports. I mean, it's kind of a group word, meditation. There's a thousand different types of meditation, just like there's a thousand different sports. And if, you know, if, if someone came from Mars and said, tell me what sport is, I would, I would teach them soccer because that's my favorite sport. But if they came to somebody else, they might be taught American football or, or bowls or something like that, okay? And they, and they would say, this is sport, but it's not. It's just one variety of it so for me my variety of meditation is just the one that works for me i call it taking quiet time it's incredibly simple it's just a matter first thing in the morning the first thing you do every morning is just take 20 minutes to sit upright in a chair and stop thinking and that's it no more pressure than that tell me about your book three simple steps when did you write it and what was it that you wanted to achieve in writing this book well i wanted to achieve it for a long time bruce i wanted to write it for a long time bruce but but um I didn't feel I had credibility to write the book until I could prove that I can convert one form of energy into another form successfully. And so I waited until I've sold my first company. And then I, so it was, it was 2010 when I, when I wrote the book. And um, it was my way of just giving back. I, I'm a great believer that it's, it's really important to share what you know. Uh, I had learned the three simple steps as a teenager and I'd used it to become a top student from being an average student to get into the military when everyone said that's impossible, and then to have a fast track career, to have an amazing relationship. None of those things would have been possible without the three steps. And I, I learned the three steps from all the biographies that I read. So I knew that I had this program that, that worked consistently in my life, but I still felt I needed to show it in a material way. So when I started my first company, did exactly the same thing with the three steps. 
then I felt I had credibility, then I could write about it. And since then, um, you know, because I didn't, I didn't, because I don't make any money off it, all my proceeds go to cancer research and development or my animal sanctuary, I didn't promote it. So I didn't put money behind the marketing of it. Um, but it's got, it's now available in six languages. It's been a New York Times bestseller three times, all by itself, all by word of mouth, which is fantastic. I couldn't have asked for a better result than that, because if I was dreaming about how to do that, that's how, that's what I would choose, you know write a book and let the book find the reader. Could you give us a little bit of a sneak preview and give us some insight into what the three simple steps are? Yeah, so the, the first one is about reclaiming our individuality because we we all, I think, become a product of our environment and we take on the opinions and attitudes of those who influence us, not knowing that we can we can protect that. And so it's about mentality control and it's about you know reclaiming your individual sense like when you were five or six years old and you wanted to be an astronaut or an actress on stage or something about getting back to that magic that that possibility and to do that you have to you have to start to notice and observe this is where the quantum physics starts to come in the art of observation and so you, you notice in your life that your attitudes are a reflection of the attitudes of those who are surrounding you and and a, and a reflection of what you allow into your senses so what you're watching on tv what you're reading the kind of people you associate with and when you start to observe it and you also start to record the amount of complaining that goes on in your life the amount of negativity the amount the, the sort of influence of you know stay with us in this version of quicksand where it's warm and comfortable when you start to break away from that and you start to realize the potential that you have and that's where the mentality control comes in and you get out of that quicksand it's like a, it's like being reborn it's like being reinvented so the so part one the first step is all about mentality control and then step two is about how you take that newborn self that reinvented self and you deepen your connection through nature and through meditation so that you start again to trust your intuition so that you, when you when you are faced with difficult decisions whereas previously it would be let's all get together and discuss it let's call a meeting let's hire somebody this if, when you uh, reconnect with the universe we reconnect with energy then you start to trust your own intuition again so you start to make your own decisions despite what the world's telling you you make this you know everyone's saying it should be blue but you say no i want it green and um and you learn to trust that and that gives you a tremendous power and then when you take both the the mentality control and the deepening connection then you need to direct that at something so from a quantum physics perspective you need to let this energy flow because once you try once you try to hold energy whether it's money or whether it's status or whatever it may be when you try to hold it it stagnates and so you have to learn to let energy flow and so that's called intention setting so it's a, it's like a higher level so you have goal setting then you have this intention setting and so it's a, a a technique that has to be learned and so the tools and techniques are the third part the third step of three simple steps when you put it together it's a bit like a magic wand it's like having a magic spell and aiming the wand and achieving your success that's why i like to use the word magic because it's exactly the same well, it's exciting. Hmm? Do you have any proteges that you have taught and that have really soared? Uh, so in my course transformation, every, I mean, I, they're all over the world. And so every single day. So my favorite two would be a 13-year-old girl who was working in a sweatshop who always just wanted to dance. She's now an apprentice at the Royal Ballet in London. 87-year-old um, ex professor of economics from North Carolina University just started about two years ago, his first company at 87 years old. Having the time of his life, he says he feels reborn. He feels like a kid again. He wished he'd done it like 30 years ago, but it's very freeing. He can reinvent himself. Um, most recently, um, somebody who was in the corporate world desperately wanted to get out, but didn't have the courage, was up to his eyes in debt. 
um, finally got out. The corporate world pulled him back as often as it could, but he, he, I, we had this, I do coaching, so I coached him, don't get pulled back into the quicksand. Uh, he's just signed his first $250 million deal. So, wow. But his new invention is a solar invention. So yeah, for, I mean, there's hundreds of them because I've been doing this since 2010. So a decade of people getting out of their version of quicksand and then feeling that power that they can, like we did when we were kids, we felt we were, you know, uh, we could achieve anything. And then over time, that sort of gets changed in your mentality. When you undo that mentality, then you feel like that again. You feel like a kid. Wow, that's that's really exciting to hear about some of these people that have learned from you. And uh, what would you like to do in your life that you have not yet done? Well, like everybody, I still think I'm 20 years old. So I, I feel like I haven't even started yet. So there's so much stuff to do. So much writing that I have to do. Uh, I have a brand new project. I'm, I'm going up to Canada in two weeks to talk to somebody who's an expert in that field, um, which I think will be something that will occupy me for the next 20 years. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I can't say what it is specifically, because if I did that, it, it, with the thing about intentions is that you must keep them private. You should never share them with people because you invite a lot of negativity when you do that. Because people, people look at you and they say, that's not possible. You can't do that. And you, you don't want to invite that in. So so uh, I know exactly what I, I'm going to do for the next 20 years. And uh, that's very exciting. It's, um, I, in, you know, it, it will improve. The um, the results of that will mean that I have to write more books, write more screenplays. You know, it'll have a lot of spin-offs from it. And what part of Canada are you coming to? I'm going to British Columbia. Ah, okay. I'm in Ontario. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, as we move forward in the interview, I'd like to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this. Who is one person that you would say has influenced you in your life when it comes to the topic of mindfulness? Uh, my wife. Uh, without doubt she was clairvoyant clairaudient uh and so i i was kind of a child at her knee so i learned from her the the ability to uh to, to set the ego aside and allow the universe in its many dimensions to to approach and how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions uh so i a lot of people who, know, who say that i don't get excited I don't get fearful. I don't get upset. I'm very emotionally level. And, and I, that's also the emotion of, of intuition. It's this very calm feeling. It's that, you know, if, 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 if you get all excited, you, you're not at the right energy level. If you get all depressed, you're not at the right energy level. So when you feel very calm, you have the sense of self-confidence. I think that's, that's the right frequency. So for me, for me, it's all about feeling the frequency. Let's talk about breathing. Tell us what breathing is like for you. Do you have a special type of breathing you do or how important is breathing to you in your life? Uh, it's essential. So, and, and I've studied it a lot, like you have Bruce and Shaw. So it depends what I'm doing and, and what I'm hoping to achieve. I'll change my, my uh, breathing technique for that. So uh, for, for taking quiet time, I do, I, you know, I, I teach taking long you know, six second inhalations and holding like the death breath and then, and then let, letting go only six times because it's very, very powerful. Um, when I'm um, doing one of my other techniques, I use the shamanic dancing breathing technique, which is two quicks uh, inhalations through the nose and then out through the mouth. But when I'm walking, I'm very specific that um, it's all inhalation through the nose and out of the nose. Very, it's very important to do that. Um, most, most people breathe high in, like, you know, like I am now talking, breathing high in my chest and out of my mouth. And that's, that's not a way to set the, set the ego aside, that the ego is in full place here right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Because I'm talking about me, and and you can hear it. You can hear my the breath is is here, and you know this this pollution. You know my shark, my throat shark because I'm talking truth and stuff. Um, you know you can feel your breath is very high. Uh, so so I'm, I've I've learned over the years to be aware of of my situation and in that situation to adapt my breathing to the situation. And I, I, I observed that my wife was, uh, you know, just natural at this because being clairvoyant, clairaudient, um, you could you could see in her, you could see her body, the rhythm of her body change depending on what mode she was in. And so, you know, I, so I kind of learned by watching. Very interesting. Well, I know that your book, Three Simple Steps, is a perfect book for my Mindful Tribe listeners because it sounds like it's right in line with the topics that we discuss here on the show. Are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness and could help somebody who wants to live a more mindful life? So I don't like to recommend books. Obviously, I'll recommend my own book because I trust it and I'm very proud of it. Um, for, for, so, so I get asked a lot, okay, what books have influenced you and what books do you recommend the rest of it? And I'm always fearful of doing that because I read books deliberately to challenge myself. And some of the best books I've ever read, I don't actually agree with their concepts and, or agree with their, their conclusions. But I, I, I read them to challenge myself because, as you know, at the back of our brainstem, we have the reticular activation system. It gives us the same stuff over and over. And if you want to grow, you've got to, you've got to reprogram this. You challenge it all the time. And so as by what you read. So I've found in the past that when I recommend a book, the person I've recommended the book to thinks that I believe every word in the book and it changes their opinion of me. Right. Right. So I don't like to. So it's, yeah. I mean, today with technology, it's so easy to find fantastic material. There's no excuse for, you know, sitting on the couch and watching rubbish on TV when you, we have access to so much stuff that can inspire us. Yeah, we really do. And some of those things are your videos on YouTube. They're very inspiring. And you have a way of just, you just sit and you chat and it feels like you're sitting right there with me in a conversation. It doesn't feel like it's scripted or you're reading a teleprompter or anything like that. Very natural. And so I would highly recommend your videos. And I know you're on social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and your website is trevorgblake.com so that's very easy one last question trevor uh are there any apps at all that you would recommend that can help people to become more centered or more focused uh, I, a long time ago when headspace was really new i, I was i was going to work with them and we we're going to do a combined three simple steps headspace app uh the the um the brains behind Headspace had leukemia, and unfortunately, he died. And, and the company changed his, his model in a different way. Other than Headspace, I haven't seen or or, or used anything that I particularly like. And um, you know, one of the interesting things is is that multitasking is impossible, regardless of gender. Even though people convince themselves that they're good at it, what we do is we do a thing called context switching. And so you think you're doing really well, but actually you're doing half as well and half as well. And then the more you add to that, the more diminishing returns you get. And one of the challenges is that, that I find that when, you, when you're looking for, when you're trying to get quiet, trying to, get, trying to get into a meditative state, is that if you are listening to stuff, your brain, your 100 billion neurons have to really slow down to help you translate that information into something that makes sense in the three-dimensional five-sensory world. So I prefer to have nothing because then you like what... What you do, I believe, is you let your 100 billion neurons play, go out to play, you know, 
no distractions. No, you, don't have to, you don't have to help me be a human being. You go out and play and enjoy yourselves and communicate with the universe and I'll get the benefit of that. So I'm not a proponent of adding something. I think that a human being is perfectly capable of getting amazing results from meditation and mindfulness just, just by being quiet for a few minutes. Right. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on this call with me because, wow, you have so much to share, so much value. As we conclude the interview, do you have a final word of advice for someone that is just looking to achieve a little bit more success, a feeling of, you know, hey, I've made it. Hey, I'm, I'm doing well in life. Well, I can always use the classic cliche, if I can do it, anyone can do it, because I don't have any skills or, or background or connections or you know access to anything. So, so if I can do it, anyone can do it, which is kind of what I'm trying to teach. But by the same token, I, I, I think we live in an amazing time. I, don't, I think history will show there's never been a better time to reinvent ourselves because technology allows us to do so much so quickly. You know, the old days of starting something and then having to build locally and then regionally and then nationally, it could take decades, right? So today you can come up with an idea and you can reinvent yourself and you can engage the world in about an hour later. You know, do a simple website, click the button and you're talking to somebody in Australia. I, I think this, this is such an amazing time. So I, I, I get frustrated that a lot of people are, are gonna miss out on this because they don't realize how special this time is because they're still thinking of, of the world being as it was when they were growing up. You know, I mean, I was told, you know, to be successful, you've got to work 24 seven and you gotta be dedicated and, and, and your work becomes your mistress. And it's all complete nonsense. It's the opposite of that. It's the less I work, the more successful I become. And, uh, and technology allows us to live that lifestyle. So I would say to anybody, there's never, there's never been a better time to reinvent yourself and achieve rapid financial independence. It comes almost as a side effect now. You don't have to make it happen anymore. Well, thank you so much for your advice and for sharing everything you've shared today. Thanks for being on Mindfulness Mode, Trevor. My pleasure, Bruce. Thanks for the questions. That was fun, like a fireside chat, like you say. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the show today. I really appreciate you. And I've created a free gift for you, Mindful Tribe, outlining the 12 must-read mindfulness books, the 12 top must-read mindfulness books that have been recommended by guests on Mindfulness Mode. You can download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>